last summer, um, my wife heard on the radio a lady named Barbara Giuliani telling the story about how she had grown up in a Christian family and had rejected her, her parents' Christianity. And that through the pursuit of her father, she came back to the Lord. And Lois said, it was a great story when you get the book. So we got the book. And I'm looking at it, and it's Barbara Giuliani. The guy, her father, is not just some guy. is a guy named Jack Miller. He was a professor at Westminster Seminary up in Philadelphia. When my son lived up there, he went to a church that Jack Miller had planted. Jack Miller had started a mission named World Harvest Mission. It's now called Surge. And um, most importantly, he had been a mentor of Scotty Smith. And I had heard Jack Miller's name for as long as I'd heard known Scotty in reverential terms. Um, Jack Miller's son um, said, it's not just a story of a prodigal daughter, but also of a father who is acting like the elder son. Dad's willingness to first take the beam out of his eye transformed him into the kind of dad a prodigal would want to return to. Jack Miller died about 20 years ago, and so we've asked Scotty to come and stand in for him to tell the story of Jack and Barbara. Well, it is a complete honor to stand in this room and look around and see a lot of you who I haven't just known for years, but decades. So it's a real joy. And uh, you're, you're all just as handsome as when I first met you. Um, I am so honored to get to tell this story. Uh, and it's really a story, I think, that can be perfectly told in the place that we inhabit. Uh, Andy mentioned we're in the holiday season, and technically, we're living in, in what is referred to as the already and the not yet. The already of Jesus' first advent, he did come, lived, died, was raised for us, ascended into heaven, and yet he is coming again. And the already and the not yet is a beautifully tense place because we have the utter satisfaction and supply of everything Jesus did for us in the first coming. And then we have these deep longings and aches for the fullness and fulfillment, which will absolutely come. Now, the tension enables us as a people of faith, or maybe some of you just beginning to explore faith, to begin to think about what does it mean really to trust God, not just for the assurance of eternal life, but for things I can't control, like my children, like a lot of scenarios in life. And that's where really this story of getting to tell you a little bit about how Jack Miller became my spiritual father and then watching him live out a major gospel renewal in his life. So my story is I came to faith in 1968 as a senior in high school in Graham, North Carolina. I had been playing in a rhythm and blues band at fraternity parties up and down the East Coast as a senior in high school. Um, I was drugged to a Billy Graham movie by a friend who was a young convert. And the movie was uh, called The Restless Ones, and that's who I was. 
And uh, in coming to faith in Jesus, early in my life as a freshman at the University of North Carolina, I felt an internal call to ministry that I immediately responded to by telling God, I will never go to seminary and I will never pastor a church. Because I de-churched before it was popular and back a child of the 60s. And anyway, of course, in God's timing, the Lord has a way of laughing and patiently leading us into his story, right? And so that led me in time and my wife and I to go to seminary, uh, Westminster Seminary. When I finally went to seminary, I knew some of the great names on the faculty uh, there outside of the city of Philadelphia and Chestnut Hill. Some great theologians at this real August seminary. And yet when I was given my card that said, uh, here is going to be your professor of record. Here's the member of the faculty that will be your guy. I looked down and I was so disappointed because it said C period John Miller. I had no clue who that was. And to this day still, I don't know why often people named John or nicknamed Jack. Same amount of letters. But anyway, John Miller is Jack Miller. And so here's how that journey began that translates into watching Jack not only love his own children, but love a lot of us who were clueless about the much moreness of the gospel. So I, I go up to Jack's office in Machen Hall on the campus and I knock on the door and uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm Young, I am uh, vulnerable. I'm not sure that I've got the academic chops to make it in graduate school, but I uh, knock on the door. Jack opens the door. It was kind of like uh, my first introduction to my gospel Yoda. I didn't know it at the time. The short little man, and I reached out my hand politely to introduce myself, and he undercut my hand, put his arms around me, pulled me into his chest, and did not let go for 21 years because it was the beginning of me being fathered in the faith. And here's the cool thing. Jack had been um, only at that time, this is 1975, uh, Jack was about two or three years into a gospel renewal himself. He had grown up in a very orthodox world, uh, was a professor at this very orthodox seminary, was a church planter, and yet he woke up in about 1970 or so, somewhere around there, and basically by God's gift, Jack concluded, I am such a mess. I don't really love people. I am irritated with this church I planted. My heart is more bent on defending theology than, de than delighting in the Lord. And so wisely what Jack did, he took a leave of absence from the seminary and from um, the church he was planting, and he and his wife, Rosemarie, and five of their six kids went to Spain. And what Jack did that summer, like just think early, early 70s, one or two or something like that, Jack saturated himself in the promises of God. And, and the Holy Spirit met him. And it's one of my favorite stories because one of the true realities of living between the advents of Jesus is there are little a advents when the spirit of God comes to you and me and renews and refreshes and 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 what Jack needed was to see this informed mind of his to become an inflamed heart and he came back so freshly in love with Jesus 
so aware of God's commitment and all of history to redeem an every nation bride for Jesus. And Jack, Jack was humbled. Jack was gentled. The theology that he believed became a song. He knew the lyric of the gospel, but was a stranger to its music. Well, to have him as a spiritual father, to have him in the classroom, it was just kind of imagine the scenario, and some of you can relate to this, to have someone that is 10,000 times smarter than you, and yet so freshly in awe of the love of God. I mean, Jack came alive to what it really means to be fathered by Abba Father. He came alive to the good news that the gospel isn't a second chance. It is the second Adam, Jesus himself, doing for us what we could never do. So he would, you know, he would go from teaching to preaching in class. And, and it was just uh, such a joy early on to have a spiritual father that defended the theology that I really believed in, but, but, but really began to say, Jesus is not just true. He's good and he's beautiful. Well, let me hasten on to the story in particular that I've been asked to speak about. And, uh, and I'm going to uh, share as I start right now uh, one text of scripture. I will conclude with a prayer based on this text. But this is a passage, I would say, that pretty well represents what we want to talk about for the next several minutes. So um, this is from Psalm 127, verses 1 through 3. Psalm 127, 1 through 3. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he, meaning God, gives to his beloved in their sleep. I don't know if you've ever seen that before in the scripture. God doesn't just give us sleep. He gives to us in our sleep. Holy Spirit is making you like Jesus even when you're snore. So tell your wife like that. She complains about your snore. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The first fruit of the womb, a reward. Father, help us in these next few moments just to get a hold of that which has gotten a hold of us. Lord, there's nothing more than the gospel. There's just more of the gospel. And thank you, Lord, that I can just remember so fondly uh, Jack as a spiritual father that did become that gospel Yoda to me that showed me the much moreness of your love. And even now, his wife, Rosemarie, uh, next birthday, 98, is serving you, Jesus, in London, teaching the Bible to Sikh, Hindi, and Muslim women. Lord, what a heritage I have. What, what a, a gift to be parented. Uh, living so much of my life as a spiritual orphan and so disconnected from my own dad. Lord, be with us now as we just talk about uh, the ability to trust you and stories. Uh, being convicted at different seasons of life about our own um, elder brother spirit. How sometimes, especially as men, we want to control stuff. You never called us to control. Fix stuff you've never called us to fix. Uh, Lord, may this very uh, Christmas season find us more in awe of the only love that is better than life, the only love that will never let go of us, the only love that we can trust for our parents, for our siblings, for our children, for our grandchildren, for this very world that is yours.
praying in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, part of Jack's story was when you go to gospel renewal, when you're coming alive, it's not like everything just gets solved immediately. So part of Jack's journey really was how do I now, as I'm seeing differently and really being in awe of the much moreness of Jesus, how does it relate to everything? My marriage and Darlene, my wife and I, and we had our 50th anniversary in May. And I love to say that because that's a story of grace itself. I love to say <clears throat> we survived 50 years of marriage and by the grace of God, and we're better friends now than we've ever been. But, but Jack began to, you know, with Rosemary say, how, how, how does the Lord gentle you in a marriage that you think is just kind of beyond fixing? Well, with his kids, uh, he had mentioned six kids, and, and one in particular, Barbara, a most passionate sort, one that made uh, the gospel so necessary for Jack and Rosemary. And I'll tell you a little of her story. You can read more of the story in the book called Come Back, Barbara, that Larry mentioned. And what's beautiful is in alternating chapters between Jack and Barbara looking back over the journey of a father and daughter that lived through a real season of disconnect uh, and rejection of faith. Well, here's the shorthand version. <clears throat> Jack and Rosemary were so committed to missions. Uh, and as I mentioned, Rosemary still is, who's alive. Jack passed at a mere 67, uh, died of a heart attack uh, excuse me, died of heart surgery. He suffered a heart attack preaching the gospel in Uganda when Idi Amin was still in rule. He lived 10 years longer with about 40% of his heart muscle, taking the gospel to other parts of the world. Died in Spain, but during that whole season, this one daughter, Barbara, pushed the envelope. Uh, she, she started by... Um, I think they were on a family trip together in Mexico, and she began to say to her folks, I'm not sure I really believe this anymore. Uh, they go back up to uh, Philadelphia, where Jack is pastoring and professor professoring, and uh, Barbara moves in with her first uh, boyfriend. And that kind of breaks the paradigm. If you're a pastor or a professor at a conservative seminary, when your daughter just absolutely begins to live with a guy exceedingly wealthy, a guy who was notorious uh, uh, for drugs. And, uh, and then after that relationship was over, she moved in with a, another guy, Angelo. And Angelo wasn't the wealthy guy doing drugs, he was the worthless guy selling drugs. So just, just put yourself in that story. And, and some of you have been in a similar story. Some of you right now are thinking, I've got kids right now that are acting out in ways that I, I don't know who I can even tell my story to. Because so-and-so remembers when my kid got the pins from going to Sunday school for perfect attendance, and now you know, they've traded the faith in for a Diet Coke. Well, here's how that played out for Jack and Rosemary. Um, Jack, as he was coming alive to more of the grace of the gospel, be begin to rethink what has God actually called me to be about as a dad? 
And I've got some choices here as a dad. Rosemary and I have some choices here about having right now a, a daughter that's acting out uh, so remarkably against the faith. In fact, she announced one day, uh, Dad, Angelo, and I, the second living boyfriend, uh, we're going to go to California. I've just been accepted into a political science program. I'm really drawn to Marxism now, and uh, we're going to move across country, and we're not asking permission. And uh, I'll, I'll get to the beauty of grace in that story in a moment. But you see, um, we all inhabit stories like that, that that can either take us to shame or take us to Jesus. And through this gospel renewal, through Jack, by the Holy Spirit's renewing power, he began to think about what what did I did not, what did I never really understand about parenting? What was my first model of parenting? And Jack's first model and assumption was kind of like mine being a child of the 60s. I grew up after coming to faith in Jesus. Before I met Jack, I was introduced more to a world of, of formulas and performancism. And I remember how many times I used to hear as a dad, you know, if you train up your kids in the right way, they're not going to depart. And I translated that immediately into, oh my freaking gosh, my kid's salvation is on my shoulders. If I do it right, they're going to rise up and call Jesus blessed and me blessed, because that's important too, right? As dads, we want to be appreciated. And if I do it wrong, they're going to screw up. Jack began to realize what a contradiction to the whole structure of the Bible. There's no fourth member of the Trinity. None of us can be anybody's savior. And so Jack began to just consider and, and dialoguing with Barbara and listening and, and, and through grace beginning to repent. You see, that's one of the great things about the more grace is alive in your life, you do more listening than talking. You, you realize God gave you two ears and one mouth. And so Jack really began to examine with Barbara the tension and inhabit it. And, and, and again, I don't want to paint an easy picture because it wasn't easy, uh, but it's a beautiful one. And it's one that's helped me tremendously as a dad, a husband, as a pastor, as a friend. And so in the process, Jack really began to uh, listen to Barbara and realize that his parenting was far more based on fear and threat than the gospel and, and, and a faithful father. And, and that, that's, you know, that's a huge paradigm shift. Uh, if, if, if our kids taste the fact that we smell more like anger, threat, and fear than the welcoming heart of God, then, then, then they know that. No matter what we say, they know our body language more so than our words. In fact, uh, sociologists of communication say that any given communication event is 7% words and 93% tone and body language. And Barbara got it early on. Dad, you're disappointed with me. You want to fix me. You want to <clears throat> threaten me with living in heaven without me. You want to manipulate me. I'll have nothing to do with it. So as the gospel was at work and, and beginning to further move Jack from thinking he's responsible for the salvation of his children, he and Rosemary began to pray more. The Lord, uh, prayer is, is not a formula. 
Prayer is an environment where we get to know you as our own Father better. And as you're reparenting us, Father, how do we, we love each of our very unique kids? Right now, a most rebellious daughter. Well, Jack did begin to realize he was, as Larry said, more like in Luke 15, that elder brother who stayed on the premises but was a stranger to the promises and, and harshness and rigorism and rules and control. Again, that is not the paradigm of the gospel. So Jack began to love and listen. And this story, once again, I'm giving you the abbreviated version for time because uh, I want to take a few moments to apply this to our own hearts and stories right now. Uh, Jack and Rosemarie, when uh, their daughter Barbara and her live-in junkie boyfriend, Angelo, <clears throat> were getting ready to move across the country from Philadelphia to California, Jack had been living out a renewed sense of grace with his own congregation. And it's a beautiful thing when the senior pastor, when the whole staff, when the elders are more smitten with the aroma of grace rather than law and performances. And when a, when a Christian leader is coming alive and, and there's humility and there's grace, well, the church was beginning to realize, Jack, it's the same theology, but it's more full of Jesus and less full of your fear. Here's what the church did for Angelo and Barbara. They threw a party, a going away party, before they moved to California. Now just think of this scenario. Church said, okay, uh, Barbara and Angelo, uh, uh, hey, we, we want to we wanna have a going-away meal for you guys. And, of course, that shocked Angelo. And you got to read about that in the story. I mean, here's this Italian, passionate pagan, a junkie who's married now to a beautiful pastor's daughter who isn't really anchored in the faith. And he's thinking, a church wants to give us a going-away meal? Well, they came to the meal. And you know what their church did? While they were there, they took up an offering for gas money. And, uh, and, and as the story played out, when Barbara, the rebellious daughter, and Angelo got across country, Angelo could not get over that generosity. Uh, and Angelo, Angelo could, could, he had no categories for this. Uh, he called Jack and he said, Jack, this is just not right. I, I can't. In fact, really, uh, during that particular meal, he's all nervous. He's, he's, he's leaving. He's coming back. He can't handle grace. See, it's easier for us to respond to law to say, you're just trying to fix me. But you know what? When you're in the presence of radical grace, that doesn't condone what you're doing, but isn't unnerved by it. it it's a new world in orbit. And so uh, Angelo, uh, when they're living in California, he begins to be open to this thing called the gospel. He begins to, having been raised in Catholicism, he begins to remember words and images. And, and he, Angelo, is converted before Barbara comes back to the faith. But the beautiful story is a, 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 a man like any guy in this room that has chops and callings and responsibilities and fears and brokenness and worries and things we're proud of and things that we are ashamed of, you know, they got to see a dad. I got to have a spiritual father who loved me for 21 years, um, modeling this for me before my own heart could move in and embrace such radical grace. Well, uh, Angelo, um, 
his love really was used by the Spirit to, to renew Barbara. And uh, it, it, it's not an issue of was she ever converted, was she reconverted. Her own story is that which I one point believed to be true but completely disconnected from, I now began to treasure. And guys, this is so cool right now. You know what Angelo is right now? He is a PCA pastor at a church on the campus of Westminster Seminary. You know what Barbara is? The chief acquisitions editor for New Growth Press that publishes gospel-saturated literature. Now, here's what I want you to hear in that. Not, okay, if you even do the gospel right, you'll have that same story. That's just not where this is and not where this is going. But it is a reflection of never stop hoping. Never stop trusting. But, but put the focus more on Jesus, the author and perfecter, not only of our faith, but of anybody's faith. Um, I'm wearing this jacket today for a reason. Let me turn around here. Uh, what's, what's the name you see? You know, my shoulders aren't as broad as some viewers have to kind of fan out. The story tells a similar story of God doing the unexpected. Do some of y'all remember David Trask? Anybody in this room remember David? I, you would love him. Some of you, a couple of you did. All right, so David was a part of Christ Community Church when we met right over the way over there. And uh, one day I'm preaching at Christ Community and, and, and David hears me referencing growing up on the Beatles and getting to see Paul McCartney live. And he says, I got something for you. And he brought this tour jacket the next week. And then he told me his story. He says, Scotty, I got this jacket because I used to be the road manager for Fleetwood Mac. In fact, I used to live with Mick Fleetwood and uh, I was the pharmacist on the tours. <laughs> Wink, wink, wink. And uh, I mean, just the timeliness of that. Some of you know Christine McVeigh uh, passed away yesterday, one of the original members of Fleetwood Mac. But then uh, David went on to say, God in his kindness rescued me. And it's completely unprecedented. He went on to become, he went, get, here's a story, this should be a book. He went from being the tour manager for Fleetwood Mac to the tour manager for Stephen Curtis Chapman. So that's, that's quite a journey, too, and, and, and went on to serve and show hope in the world of adoptive care. Now, the point is this, you see, whether it's your own kids right now that you're not sure where they are, whether it's your friends. I have an aunt named Aunt Cynthia who, after my mom died when I was 11 back in Graham, North Carolina, and my dad completely checked out and did not say my mom's name for 40 years, I had an aunt who just kind of, she was rigid, she was hard, but she knew how to fix stuff. She showed up in my life. I lived in Graham, she lived in Burlington. Listen to this, my Aunt Cynthia's dad was the general over all the chemical warfare of the American country back in the 50s. So you can imagine, that's a scenario there. She moved into my life just as someone that would ferry me around. Well, let me fast forward beyond Aunt Cynthia just showing up just to make sure that now motherless Scotty had someone to take from place to place. About eight years ago, I get a call out of the blue. She's 79, 79. She says, Scotty, I have finally come alive 
to Jesus. And I went over to see her, and it's like, here's a 79-year-old rigid, I was afraid to act out of line in the presence of this aunt, you've got that type, who fixed stuff, paid for stuff, but now it's a 79-year-old. She is alive to the love of Jesus. I don't know who you've written off now thinking they're beyond their years of the season when people typically come alive to the love of Jesus. Uh, whether it's a friend, whether it's a parent, whether it's your own kids. And let's just land right there because, again, honoring the fact that you guys are supposed to be out of here promised at 8 o'clock sharp. Okay, good. I've got a few more minutes. Um, I want us to think about parenting. See, I've got two kids and four grandkids, and fortunately, they all live close by. And, 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 and Darlene and I grew up in that world of being children of the 60s. We did not want to put our kids under performatism and the pressure to be the king and the queen of the youth group kind of stuff. And, and yet, we, we did not know really how to do it. Well, after I hit burnout at age 50, uh, still when we're in downtown Franklin, I go into a season of realizing that there were wounds in my heart that had never been attended to by the gospel. Death of my mom, disconnect from my dad, sexual abuse as an eight-year-old kid, and I didn't voice that story till I was 56. But as I began to get the care I needed, I began to realize, I, in my head, I have a notion of what my kids think about the way I parented them. And see, and I would always talk to myself uh, as a dad, I am so much better than my dad was, and that was kind of my, my paradigm. Well, I, at least they're not getting my dad, right? Good news is I reconnected with my dad before he went to heaven. That's a story for another breakfast. But um, I come alive, I begin to get healthy. Darlene and I get counseling. We begin to realize 25 years into our marriage, uh, we are two uh, unhealthy hearts who love Jesus but don't know how to love each other well, and we get health. Well, I begin to move towards my kids, and I remember starting with my daughter, who's the oldest of the two, uh, pursuing Kristen and asking her, uh, Kristen, uh, you know my dad and I have reconnected recently, and you know I'm just beginning to realize what an unhealthy man I am. Pastor this church that, you know, went from five couples to 4,000 people, and I never wanted that. Still, am astonished that God would use an introvert and in an extroverted world just to be a part of something that was so out of line with what I even wanted. But you know that doesn't matter to me, but what matters to me now, Krista, is what do you remember about me as your dad as a kid? I want to know. I don't want to be 81 and you 50 before we connect like my dad and I have just connected. And, and the first words out of her mouth were this, Dad, thanks for asking. And that matters a lot to me that you even ask. And here's the first thing that comes to mind. I remember, I think, Dad, I was about 11 or 12. And, uh, and I could tell I was becoming too much for you. And I watched you just disappear into more ministry. Now, let me say this. Because of seeing Jack and Rosemary and knowing Barbara, because of in my own journey realizing the gospel is far more welcoming and accepting no matter where you are, that did not put me in shame. It did not put me into the mode of, well, who paid for those braces, young lady? Or don't you remember all the, you know, guys, we are legalists to the core. 
We think we deserve something. And even when we give, we don't give without strings. But I was able to say, Kristen, can you tell me more? Well, that conversation continues. And right now, I've never been more connected to from my 46-year-old daughter. Um, realizing this is recorded, I'm not going to say more than I should. But it, it's not that we uh, read from the same Bible all the time. Can we just leave it at that? But there's relationship. There's connection. And, and I just say to you men, again, we're, 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 whatever this story is, whether it's with your bride, whether, whether it's grieving a loss that you never were able to enter into, God's name is Redeemer, not Redo. Again, to have had the honor of walking with Jack through many years and stories of, I mean, even this season when he plants a church and, and that church basically gives him in time the left foot of fellowship. I never would have thought Jack Miller would have been kind of nudged out the door, but it segued into World Harvest Mission and Surge. You see, whatever your story, your loss, that thing that still maybe marks you, defines you more than the sweetness and the beauty of God's grace and mercy, why not this Advent season to come to a place with good brothers in this room? I mean, again, I look around the room and I think, I mean, I remember when Andy, where are you, Andy? I remember Andy was, was a tiny cafe in a place nobody ever heard of called Leaper's Fork. In fact, I was afraid to go there after dark. You know, it's just a... <laughs> Now you can't even buy three square feet of leapers for it. But the point is this, God's faithful, right, Andy? I mean, and, 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 and that which really has all, it's always marked you more humility than hubris, more welcome, realizing that if you read the story of God, food always shows up. Welcome. And you see, brothers, right now, for many of you, Jesus is quite literally knocking at the door of your saved heart saying, uh, I'd love to come in and fellowship with you. I'd love to meet you where you are. I'd love to bear that burden. I'd, I'd love to connect you with brothers who through the community of weakness will enter into your story and, and, and you can weep together and trust together. And under that end, what I want to finish with, and I've, I've, I wrote a prayer based on the scripture and this kind of mourning and this whole story. And I'm going to send this to Larry and you better get on that email list and you'll get this prayer if you're on the email list. Um, but let me, let me kind of conclude with this and pray for us. And, uh, and then, obviously, guys, some of you can linger. Some of you need to go on. But let me just kind of bring these thoughts together. Thankful to the God who's building the house. Thankful to the God who says to you and to me, it is a vain. It is a vain thing that you would stress more about your kids, grandkids, story, heart, and health than you would trust me. I don't just have your back. I have your everything. So, brothers, let me conclude with this prayer. You don't need to shut your eyes. I just want to read these words. And, again, if you would like this, uh, get on that email list, and Larry will send it to you. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you are the dreamer, planner, bankroller, and builder of everything that lasts, including the lives of our kids and grandkids. Children are your gracious gift to us, not our science project, sport to master, or ticket to validation. 
Father, expose and dismantle the faithless, graceless ways we parent. Free us from our overbearing and our underbelieving ways. Forgive us for being more anxious than loving, more likely to nag or brag without ceasing than pray and trust without ceasing. Continue to rescue us from parental laboring in vain, assuming a burden you never intended us to bear. Only your spirit can make the gospel beautiful and believable to our kids. Only you can give anyone a new heart. You call us to parent as an act of worship, not to, pa to parent as unto you, not as a way of proving our worth, saving face, or making a name for ourselves. Parenting is costly, but we can't afford, we cannot afford to turn it into an idol factory. How arrogant to assume our good parenting accounts for the best of what we see in our kids. And what a hellish lie to assume our imperfect parenting is the only reason our kids make poor choices in life. Father, free us and forgive us. We put unfair pressure on our children when we parent more by fear and pride and less by faith and grace. Since our kids are your inheritance, Father, teach us how to care for them as humble stewards, not as anxious owners, as hopeful encouragers, not as self-appointed sheriffs. Grant us quick repentance when we fail them. Keep teaching us how to love and serve our children in line with the truth of the gospel. And Father, I just add on to this for great thanksgiving to be in this room today for the many stories of faithfulness in this room, for the many David Trask stories, for the fathers and brothers that I've walked with since first Pres days, Christ Pres days, Christ community days, and kingdom days way outside the box of any denomination or church. Thank for your faithfulness. Thank for what you're doing today, Lord. And I do pray that, Jesus, you would bring hope to the most helpless and hapless right now. Uh, Lord Jesus, you did not just bear our guilt, but our shame. And how we pray that your breath, your renewing goodness and grace would meet us in our stories. Together we cry out, hallelujah, what a savior. Hallelujah, what a salvation, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brothers. I just want to read one sentence that is one of the most profound things I've ever read. There is no more impenetrable barrier to God's love than the sense of being right. There is no more impenetrable barrier to God's love than the sense of being right. And so often, we feel like we need to be right. I had a son whose story was like Barbara. He got saved, and I called him up. I said, Jeff, was it somebody that witnessed to you? Was it somebody that, you know, did you read something? Did you hear something on the radio? His answer was, no. God just told me it was time to come back to me. And I pray that our sons and those that we love, that will happen too. Have a great week.